Welcome to the Monday Morning Cornerback. Push back a little bit this week, but th this is Eric McKinney, joined as always by Daryl Rideau. And, and we're going to look back uh, a, a little bit at Friday night's USC-Colorado game. USC comes away from Boulder with a 35-31 win. They're playing uh, with true freshman Keenan Kristen at, at running back. Uh, the, the top three running backs are out. Uh, you don't have Drake Jackson at defensive end, Christian Rector at defensive end, EA at, at linebacker, Talanoa Hufanga at safety, Chris Steele uh, was a game-time decision. He didn't end up playing the corner. And then it comes out after the game, uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart dealing with kind of a, a – and actually Drew Richmond, the offensive lineman, dealing with uh, illness and, and not really 100% uh, for, for that entire game. Still, I think this is the time where you can use your a win is a win uh, at Colorado because, Daryl, we're not going to have to wait long to find out if, the, if this team is real or not because Oregon's coming to the Coliseum on Saturday. So th this is the time in the season where you start this kind of push to the end. And if you are going to win the Pac-12 South, they, these are the games that are going to do it uh, Oregon, then road trips, Arizona State, Cal, and then UCLA at home again. Uh, we, we talked all offseason about what that front part of the schedule looked like. This back part does not look like a cakewalk with the way some of these teams are playing right now. We broke down that Colorado game pretty significantly afterward, but I'm curious from you, going back and looking at it a, a few days later, what are the things, and I know you're going to start on the defensive side for USC, what are the things that really stand out to you when you go back and, and rewatch that game and, and take a little bit of a closer look? Well, I mean, I, mean I, I think the first thing that really stands out to me, Eric, is what you alluded to. Just how many, how many healthy bodies that you were counting on for high levels of production this season found themselves in street clothes on the sideline, you know, kind of being the, the team's greatest cheerleaders. And lo and behold, you have to rely upon true freshmen where you're putting them in elements and situations that are unpredictable. So that level of degree of verity or um, that variable leads to uncertainty, especially for coaches that, that can't predict how their team, such as Clay Helton's team, uh, USC, will react on the road, finding themselves going into the fourth quarter down by 10, you know, and, and really having to rely heavily upon new faces, lack of communication. So the, the thing that stood out to me was just the, the growth and maturation of some of the young guys who are gaining much needed and valuable experience, how throughout the game, although mistakes were made, as the game progressed, it seemed as though they weren't making the same type of mistakes that, that you would normally find uh, in a true freshman under those pressure situations. And because of that, there were times in this game, Eric, where I forgot that. Um, and I'm going to start on the offense because there's so what? many holes on the defense. Come on, Daryl. I, I, I almost have you. to. I, it isn't me, but I, I have to. Like, going back and watching this game, there were, there were moments in this game that I forgot that Keaton Slovis was a true freshman. And just the, the throws that he made that were clutch, recognizing the situation in the moment, didn't feel too big for him. He, he made some throws that were that were um, that were NFL-like throws, throwing to the, the back shoulder or, in some cases, the inside shoulder away from the defender was very impressive. 
But then there were other times where when the pressure got to him, we were reminded that he was a true freshman. But if there was any areas that were glaring, Eric, they, they, it just rear its head on the defensive side of the ball. The lack of communication at times on just natural crossing routes, plays where two uh, safeties should be checking with one another. And we use the term seesaw. So if a guy goes in motion and you're in man coverage and he crosses the center before you get to him, you can flip responsibilities if you have confidence in, in, in what the other is doing. But we didn't see a lot of that part of the communication. And as a result, I think there were times where Colorado got the best of them simply by virtue of leverage and just by nature of how the scheme was designed to cause that type of um, miscommunication. But then there's other times that we've been saying all year where the lack of a Drake Jackson and a Christian Rector led to um, inconsistency on filling the edges by the defensive ends or the outside linebackers. There were times where, once again, we found two defenders in the same hole. These are things that you would think that USC will have to shore up because coming in is a well-oiled machine with the Oregon Ducks, and they are going to take advantage. One of their signature plays is the, the, the counter, and that's going to really attack and put stress on the, on the edges. They're looking for soft creases, and these are the type of running backs that will touch pay dirt the moment that you give them an opening. So when I went back and I watched this game in a vacuum, as the way that Clay Helton always wants us to analyze it, I saw a team that got better as the game progressed, but made too many mistakes uh, to spot a team like Oregon next week uh, if you want to give yourself a chance to win. But it's because of the play of uh, Keaton Slovis, and at times when he does take care of the football, will give this team a chance. Defensively, you hope that they have enough healthy bodies with experience to, uh, to complement the athleticism that we're seeing from a group that just seems to, to, to lack chemistry and continuity amongst the starters. Take me through a little bit, uh, you know, former player perspective. This is the situation, right? It's a road game to, you're going to Colorado. You just came off a, a, you know, a blowout win against Arizona. And you know that Oregon is coming up the, the next week. That mindset, when you see this kind of result, this kind of performance in a game, d does that sort of send up alarms of, you know, oh man, if this team's going to play like this again and get rolled by Oregon, or, or is it a very real thing where, look, this is, this is just kind of a situation where you try to scrap through that game, any win is a good win, and now you can kind of reset, and that's not the team that shows up against Oregon. I'm just kind of curious about that mindset. For fans, it's kind of easy just to say you should beat this team wherever you play them. No matter who you're playing next, trap games are, you know, shouldn't be a thing or, or any of that. But as a former player, are, are you surprised when you see sort of a, a performance like that with a game sort of on the horizon like this Oregon game was looming? You're not, okay? And the reason why you're not surprised that um, the, the term trap game comes to um, fruition is simply because think about how this game is sandwiched. It's sandwiched in between who? Notre Dame, Arizona, which was homecoming. So you kind of get up because you're playing for the first time in quite some time uh, in, in front of your fan base, your family, 
alumni who haven't been back on campus for quite some time. And then you leapfrog ahead. And as you're preparing for um, Colorado, you're still kind of noticing that the, the coaching staff are implementing a couple of wrinkles and they let you know, hey, we're putting this in for later on in the season, um, but we just want to see what it looks like this week. And why? It's because it is hard to get up for a team that has been struggling, a team like Colorado that had never beaten USC. And then you look at the, you think about it as a player, I always notice the intensity when uh, we were playing against a, a team that you had everybody's focus versus a team that you just felt like if you just play your ball, you should beat them handily. And those were the teams you circled on your calendar. You, you called those automatically a W and you look for the games that was a 50-50 that would get, force you to focus a little bit more. In the case of, of um, Colorado, the only reason why they had USC's full attention was because you had so many new guys rotating in. But had this have been the, 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 the continuity of the starters, I do think that a trap game like this could have reared its head and it would have, the hole would have been so great that it may emotionally have been difficult for USC to crawl themselves out of. So when, when you ask the question to a former player, if we're all being honest with ourselves, absolutely they overlooked the intensity of Colorado. And it's hard to manufacture fake emotion when, quite frankly, you're looking ahead because that's the team you really want to play. That team that's donning the, uh, whichever color green, whichever color gray or black that they're going to feature, you know that Oregon is one of those teams that you look forward to playing. It's hard to sit here and lie to you and say that these guys were fired up to play Colorado in that cold weather on a Friday night. So, so then let's go ahead and, and skip forward to Colorado because, it, uh, sorry, to, to Oregon, because again, what, whatever happens, I think in this Oregon game, I, I think this sort of, and, and I guess you could maybe make this case every week, but, but this is kind of the season defining game, right? This, but the, the way Utah is playing it sure doesn't feel like USC is going to get sort of a, a gimme from Utah where if Utah wins, USC could drop another game and still win the Pac-12 South. Uh, if they win their other three, we'll get a better sense of that. Utah plays Washington this weekend. So that, that seems to be kind of the last, uh, the last hurdle for the Utes this year in, in terms of their ability to kind of run out their schedule. So this game against Oregon kind of, I think gives us a real sense of if USC is going to win uh, the Pac-12 South. And then if, if things break right for USC against this game, if indeed they could beat Oregon again uh, in a Pac-12 championship game, but we're down the line. <laughs> let, let's face, <laughs> yeah. let, let's take a look at Saturday. What are some of the things uh, that Oregon brings to the table that have your attention right away and certainly will have USC's attention right away? I, I think you look no further than who they have at the helm. Um, calling the plays, Justin Herbert. Um, the, and there's a reason why uh, for, for a couple of years now, many regarded him as a top, if not the top pick, at least a top five pick. Um, he is the he is the the straw that stirs their um, their drink. And when you think about his ability to command that offense and get his team in and out of different looks. And not to mention, when you think about who's in the backfield with C.J. Verdell, 
This kid is, is as explosive as they come. Against Washington State, had 23 carries for 257 yards, and he made it look easy, averaging over 11 yards a carry. That's the guy that's going to keep you up at night because of that balance. And, and we know how USC likes to uh, try to stuff the line of scrimmage with that under front. It's, it, it really is going to be crucial that, uh, for, for USC to have a strong tackling week because this is a team, they, they remind me of the game Pac-Man. They just continue to gobble up yards, chunks, and points. And all of a sudden, they start accumulating so much that they take you out of their game by virtue of the fact that you feel like you have to get into a shootout with them. And, and so across the board, when you think about how balanced this group is, um, I, I think of how prolific their wide receivers are. Um, aside from um, C.J. Verdell as a running back, you also have to factor him out of the backfield, catching the ball, Jawan Johnson, um, Jalen Red. I mean, these are guys that, that may not seem like household names, but um, because of Justin Herbert's ability to spread you out, send multiple crossing routes, and then hit you with misdirection uh, you know, behind Mario Cristobal in that, in that offense, they are so explosive and so dynamic that the way that they play reminds you of what we all anticipate USC to be based on how they recruit. But it seems like when it comes to Oregon, they get as much juice out of that, out of those oranges as anybody. Um, they seem to maximize the skill set and talent of their players in space. And, and because of that, it's fun to watch them. Yeah, I think some numbers sort of jump out to me looking at, at Oregon and these are kind of some some superficial numbers a little bit but their defense was just rolling games for them two three four five and six games two through six they didn't give up more than seven points uh, in any of those games but when you look at it that's Nevada Montana yeah. at Stanford when Stanford was kind of a mess uh, California after they lost uh, their quarterback and then Colorado when Colorado got blasted back-to-back uh, -back Oregon and Washington State they've played Washington and Washington State this is Oregon now Washington and Washington State their last two games they gave up 31 to Washington and 35 to Washington State so their defense is is not sort of invulnerable the, the way it looked for yeah. a long run I think that Good offenses can find something against this defense. Again, we're talking numbers. The number that stands out, Oregon leads the nation 14 interceptions. So they will take advantage yes. of any sort of misthrow. They have a ton of athletes back there. And we'll probably get into this in a, in a game uh -huh. day video later on this week. A ton of athletes that could be uh, suiting up and could, could have been <laughs> suiting up in Cardinal and Gold this week. That's oh, yeah. another discussion. But they get after the ball uh, on defense. And then offensively, you mentioned Justin Herbert, just one interception this year against 21 touchdowns. And what's interesting to me is they don't seem to have, they don't have the one wide receiver, even the one running back. You mentioned CJ Verdell, but they've got a, a Travis Dye and a Cyrus, yeah. Cyrus Habibi Lakio. They've got guys uh, sort of all over the place. And that's what, kind of scares you about the Oregon offense is that they have so many pieces that right. can show up in any way. I mean, that, they're the kind of team that can beat you when nobody has more than two catches in the game. Right. They've got eight guys with two catches. And that what they have done with that offensive line, 
uh, in, in just a few years of Mario Cristobal being there. That is a for real, full of NFL guy. No, no, no doubt. Uh, One of the best uh, offensive lines in the country. Um, and it, and if it's better than Notre Dame, we saw what Notre Dame did against USC. So, so for me, that's going to be absolutely the matchup right. to watch how USC's defensive line can come up with something against Oregon's offensive line because against Notre Dame, it just wasn't there. Have you seen anything kind of in that matchup that makes you sort of lean thinking this is going to go one way or the other just with, with that matchup, Oregon up front offensively against well, well, Yeah, because well, what's, in what's interesting is having watched that Washington State game, one of the things that I really noticed was how much C.J. Verdell inside of short yardage at 5'9", 209, 210 pounds, really likes to run in between tackles. Kind of reminds me in terms of his body structure of Amari's Jones Drew, um, but he seems to be a lot more faster than him. What's interesting about this particular matchup is what is that favor? USC strength, the interior part of their defensive line, you know, um, with Brandon Peely and uh, Marlon uh, Tuilopu, Lopu Tutupu, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, and, and some of those guys in, in the interior part. So if, if, if this is a game where Oregon is going to deliver jabs and body blows up the middle, um, I, I tend to favor USC's interior part of their defensive line because the one thing that I will say is although Notre Dame does run a variation of the spread, they're heavily, they're more committed to the running game, I'd say, than um, Oregon wants to be. But if there's any solace or any constellation to what we saw against Washington State and the amount of points that they were able to put up 35, I think that defensively, as as um, impenetrable as Oregon's defense was at the beginning of the year, the vulnerability up the seams really should play well. Again, you, you think about um, what Washington State does, their variation of the original air raid, and Graham Harrell's understanding of it couldn't have played out any better for Graham Harrell to see his old coach, um, Mike Leach, go up and carve up Oregon, and now you got Graham Harrell coming in with better athletes at the helm. Now let's just be smart. Let's not get too cute. There were some things that Washington State was able to exploit and do really well. I talked about really attacking the seams, and when I say the seams of the defense, what I'm really talking about is, is the hash marks. Up and down the hash marks, in between the linebackers and the, um, the linebackers and the safeties, because of the depth, you're able to get in with the accuracy of a guy like Keaton Slovis. You can really take advantage of, of um, Amon Ross St. Brown and, and Drake London's athletic ability, or as we've seen in a couple of weeks past, move Michael Pittman Jr. inside and take advantage of his size and strength against much smaller defen defensive backs who are very talented, but they are um, giving up a couple of feet to Michael Pittman Jr. So, if, if you are USC, based on the fact that you figured out a way to come back in a game that you really shouldn't have won based on all the numbers and all the statistics at Colorado being down by 10 and, and under Clay Helton having never really um, overcome a deficit like that with as many freshmen as you have, and you found the strength to come back, that should give you some confidence to say, as long as we give ourselves a fighting chance, we can come back against anybody. But this is a game where they have to execute. 
And if they are, to give themselves a puncher's chance. I think you can take advantage of some soft body blows that Oregon will give you. But again, if you miss, it can be going the other way, as you alluded to. What did you think about USC's kind of overall offense against Colorado? And then specifically, you mentioned some of the things Washington State was able to do, specifically kind of how that that plays in. And I'm curious a little bit with the, the running game. It, it was clear early on. USC comes out true five wide. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is taking carries. They, they clearly did not want to give Keenan Kristen just, you know, it's you, it's all on you. And, and I think that's absolutely fair. If you have a guy like Amon Ross that yeah. you can do that with, I, I think you have to try to get the ball in his hands rather than just, you know, okay, well, we've got to give it to the, the true freshman 20 times uh, in a game. But how do you see that carrying over? Is that sort of what, you know, maybe USC fans can expect uh, in this game? Again, get, if, if the personnel is the same. Um, and, then, and then going beyond that, what, what have you liked about the USC offense in, in terms of just the passing game, uh, may, maybe even the last couple weeks, but specifically against Colorado? Well, well, I do think that there are some things from a personnel standpoint that USC can take away from that Washington State game. For example, um, against, against Oregon, Max Borgie, the running back for uh, Washington, he only had eight carries for 54 yards, but he averaged almost seven yards a carry for Tud. Um, but I thought he was more dynamic catching the ball. He had eight receptions for 70 yards. I can very easily see how USC in certain formations take advantage of Keaton Kristen's um, speed. He is the reigning California State 100-meter and 200-meter champion, something that I, I hold very dearly as a former 100-meter state champion coming out of Long Beach Poly in 1998, um, having won that race and putting that kind of speed on the football field and taking advantage of, you know, just some matchups that I think you can exploit, whether it's a slot corner or a linebacker on a running back like him. But then also from a personnel standpoint, I like what Graham Harold has shown, um, in particular in the Colorado game. He showed that five wide um, empty set, but bringing in um, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown into the backfield and just taking advantage of his elusiveness and, and, and being crafty with kind of manufacturing running games, a uh, running game when you have to spot Kristen time to kind of rest and recover. Uh, so from a rhythm standpoint, I think that the maturation of Keaton Slovis is the reason why this team will have a chance. When he is on the money and, and the offensive line gives him some time, space, he can dissect you, really pick you apart. And when he's in rhythm in a groove, this is a volume type of thrower where it doesn't take much for them to feel like they're getting going. And for me, it's what happens in the early downs. When, when USC and Graham Harrell runs the ball effectively on first down to create a manageable second and third down situations, Slovis seems to have the pick of the litter. And this offense gets into a rhythm and a groove, and it starts to kind of manufacture first downs and then hits you with the big explosive play. But when they find themselves behind early on downs, I think there were times in the past, I'm not saying last game or the previous one, against Arizona, but in the past, Slovis has felt like he's had the weight of the, uh, the, um, the team on his shoulders and has held the ball a little longer than we would all like for him to do. 
Yeah, and looking at numbers again, talking about protecting Keaton Slovis and making that offense work, Oregon, they had 18 sacks in four games early this year. We, we talked about him earlier, the, the way their defense was playing. Nevada, Montana, Stanford, Cal, 18 sacks. They've only had four over the last three weeks, just one against Washington, one against Washington State. So they have not been getting to the quarterback that or teams have just been doing a lot better uh, or, or leaving more guys in to protect their quarterbacks. But that's two games. Again, we mentioned the points scored by Washington and Washington State. They've yep. given their quarterback time to throw. They've been able to find space against this Oregon defense. And that, for me, again, talking about the USC offensive side of the ball, how much time Keaton Slovis has to be able to find guys. Because we've seen if he gets time, he's finding a guy. And he's making an accurate oh, yeah. throw for, for the most part. He's going to get it to where it needs to go. That, that could be something where it comes down to that. How many hits does Keaton Slovis take? He yep. was getting hit a lot against Colorado. I don't know if he goes another game and, and USC can pull out a win if he's getting hit as much. But, but before we start to wrap this up, I, I'm curious for you. Give, give me – and you can go one on either side of the ball or one overall, but your – Again, looking ahead to Oregon, the biggest matchup for you, either individual against individual or, or kind of unit against unit, where, where do you think the game is going to be sort of told? And again, I know we've got kind of days uh, ahead of us to go over some of this stuff and see uh, injury updates and all that kind of stuff. But again, at, at this point, where are you keyed in on for this game? I, I think really the matchup comes in between the tackles. Um, USC has to do a great job of containing C.J. Burdell and not giving him those chunk plays that would just break your back. Um, because I'm not certain that Oregon is the same team if, if Burdell, the running back, doesn't get going. Um, as much as Herbert has had a success and is effective um, against Washington State, he didn't, he didn't throw any touchdowns. So a lot of that was just what happened on the ground and, and what happened um, just, you know, from an overall team standpoint. But if, if this team, USC, is going to have success early on, they're going to have to contain C.J. Verdell and not allow him to hit those soft edges and, and, you know, and run for 40, 50 yards because those are going to be back-breaking plays that, that USC may not be able to recover from just because I think this crowd – will not tolerate, um, you know, uh, explosive plays from USC. And they may find themselves pressing if they fall behind and getting out of their offense. But on the other side of the ball, I think offensively, I'd like to see them just get 25 to 30 attempts in the running game to keep Oregon honest. Even if they're not having success early on because of how stout that defensive line is, I just think that the threat of a running game will allow for some soft pockets for uh, Slovis to take advantage of late in the first half or, or in the uh, mid-third quarter where he seems to do much of his damage. Um, but again, it's really going to boil down to the play of the offensive line for USC, their ability to communicate at home versus a very stout defensive line. And then offensive, I mean, then uh, defensively for USC, it's really going to come down to can the, the front four contain C.J. Verdell and allow those run uh, linebackers to run downhill unabated 
If they are able to do that, it could spell a long day for Oregon, who was still trying to figure out how Washington State was able to exploit so many holes on their defense. Yeah, I, I think this is one of the more uh, interesting sort of weeks uh, of the season. Again, it's the amount of time that we spent here talking about Colorado, I think is probably appropriate. That, this is a turn the page, let's see what you have. Uh, I think it's a very good thing for USC that this Oregon game is at home in the Coliseum. We, we have seen that USC this year specifically go back to last year, the year before, it is a different team uh, at home versus on the road. So I, I'm, I'm ready. I, I know you and I, we're, we're both kind of counting <laughs> on the days for Oregon to get into yeah, the Coliseum. Because we met, you know, I mentioned, I think this game sort of tells the tale uh, of the season. If this can eventually be uh, a, a kind of productive step forward year uh, after last year, or if it's just a matter of, you know, you played sort of five good teams this year and so far you, you've you lost to a, to a chunk of them. Uh, you know, right. weren't, weren't able to beat uh, Washington at Washington, not able to beat Notre Dame at, at Notre Dame. Oregon is that kind of next team up now um, that, that I think USC has the ability. They, they have the ability to win this game. They I, I do. They have the ability. But, but like you said, you know, um, will they allow this game to get – um, become overwhelming. And I almost hope that they hype the game up to be, um, a, you know, a preview of, of the potential Pac-12 championship because it deserves that type of attention. These are prideful players, three to five star talent that will rise to the occasion if you set the expectation right. But if you try to downplay this as Clay Helton and just say it's another game, you will get um, – you will get blasted off this football field because make no mistake about it. There are many people. Um, there are many players on this Oregon team that came from California and are going to be playing in front of their family members. And they want to do nothing more than to prove that the decision that they made to electing to go to Oregon was the right decision. And so they got a lot to play for. They still believe that they have an outside chance for um, um, the, the, the playoff berth. And what better way than to play spoiler to an Oregon team that seems to be the darling of the Pac-12 right now? You know, you mentioned guys coming in. This is Oregon's Oregon and USC. They they haven't played the last two years, so you've got three years worth of guys from Southern California who have gone to Oregon who have not played uh, have, have not played USC. Certainly have not played in the Coliseum uh, mm -hmm. as visitors. Um, against USC in a number of years. So there are going to be a lot of guys showing up in, like you mentioned, whatever colors they end up wearing that absolutely want to get this win for Oregon. So again, we'll, we'll hit this game uh, again, preview it later in the week, but just kind of fascinating to see how, how this thing turns out. And I know it's, it's Monday now and already all eyes kind of ahead on Saturday and, We'll see how this thing plays out. So for Dale Rideau, this is Eric McKinney. Thanks for listening to the We Are SC podcast, Monday Morning Cornerback.